most of human history, people have parented the way their parents and grandparents did, with culture providing the cues. We call this Parenting 1.0. For various reasons, parents began to question these approaches, and we started turning more and more to so-called experts to learn to parent. This was the beginning of Parenting 2.0. This allowed for some real advances, but also a lot of confusion as we got further and further away from our natural parenting instincts. Parenting 3.0 is about reclaiming those instincts and integrating them with our current understanding of child development. It brings together the wisdom of the past with the best scientific and psychological research of the present. Parenting 3.0 isn't a fad or a quick fix. It's a set of principles that allows us to engage with our kids and life from an informed and empowered place. I'm Jai Flicker. And I'm Deb Blum. Welcome, Welcome to, to Parenting, Parenting 3.0. 3.0. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're here to talk about um, a way that we understand that we can create the types of relationships that we want with our kids. Not just one that's fun and enjoyable, but one that actually is in support of their growth and support of self-actualization. So we were planning on recording this yesterday we actually started to record it. And then we said, we, we ran out of time, which was interesting and, and sort of- Fortuitous. Cool. Yes, it was fortuitous because Jai had asked me if I wanted to talk about this subject and he had sent me some information, but I didn't, I hadn't really gotten my own understanding of why this was really important. And so when we started to record, we talked about this, I, this coming from this place of like how to build these relationships with our kids and, um, and then we we're got, always we're always sort of when we sit down to record, we're always asking the question, what will this speak to? What problem or issue that parents are having will this speak to? Right. And we're trying so we try to frame it so it seems relevant because we know the information is gonna be so awesome, but it's sort of hard to for me especially to back engineer how to how to even get into the information. So we were we were talking about that and, and kind of thinking about like the idea of having a better relationship with your child. Yeah. But I was not quite sure how it all connected. I wasn't quite sure that I knew exactly how the content was connecting to relationships and even I just knew there was something missing. Like in my understanding of it. That was really if I'm really just honest, that's what it felt like. I was like trusting you to that we were going to get there but i didn't really know how um i just didn't see all the connections so then last night i uh i went back and i did some of my own reading and i explored this this uh not only the book that we're pulling from but i also just explored some other ideas and by the time that we came back today to record i had a whole new perspective on it and i'll just give you briefly what shifted for me which is that when when I first was understanding how this this topic, I was thinking about it from the place of relationships and that made a lot of sense. But then when I explored it a little bit more, I saw that um, there was a section that I 
coincidentally opened up to because I do that often. I just open a book and then I just read what's on that page. And so I opened up the book that we're going to refer to, which is called On Becoming a Person, and it's by Carl Rogers. I opened up the book to a page and that page actually just talked about what what Carl Rogers, who's a, th- a psychotherapist, felt that um, therapy was really about with his patients. And it was, and he was referring to the idea that Therapy is largely about removing your masks. So it's this idea of getting from this place where we show up with our roles and our personalities and our defenses defenses and all these ways that we defend ourselves from the world and that we're not truly being our most authentic selves. And that, in his opinion, when he's working with people, if he were to summarize what happens most is that people spend the time that they're working with him on becoming more of themselves. And so as I thought about that more, and then I started to connect all of this, I thought, wow, that's amazing that basically we spend time in therapy, looking back at our lives and unpacking all the ways that we have had to defend ourselves and become somebody that we're not even, that's not even aligned with who we truly are. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you, based on my own personal experience, having gone through my therapy, there's no way, there's, if I, if someone said that I had to summarize what I have done, I would say something very similar. I often say that I've been walking myself home to myself. Hmm. Yeah, and so I feel like that's really true. So then I thought, oh my God, the, like this feels like it's really the the crux of this, which is, do we have the potential as parents to create the type of relationship with our children that enables them to not have to choose between their authenticity and sort of being accepted by us or being accepted in the world, but them to be able to hold on to who they are and to have a space to be able to grow into a continued evolution of that that person so basically a container to allow them to become their best most like expressed selves and who they were sort of meant to be yeah that's kind of how i i think is probably even the best way to describe it so maybe our title for this is how to raise authentic kids (gasps) oh i like that (laughs) right i mean it's kind of what we're getting at yes and you know um dr gabor mate I've referred to him before and I won't stop referring to him, but he has videos out there and talks a lot about the idea that in order to get our attachment needs met, we as children will do pretty much anything to get Mm, our attachment mm, needs met, which is AKA acceptance. Yeah. And so we will even sacrifice ourselves and our authenticity in order to be the type of child that gets the attachment and acceptance and love that we really deeply need. Yeah. Because yeah. probably if you had to weigh them out, they both might be equally important needs, but one is actually a survival need. Like yeah. the attachment need is actually literally like a child will fail to thrive. Authenticity can get worked on later. Right. You're saying if if it's a choice between the two, if if one of them has to go, we will prioritize our attachment needs if we have to put on a persona and act a certain way to make sure that we're getting taken care of and and sort of 
not truly accepted by, but, but conditionally accepted by our caregivers, we will, we will make that evolutionary choice. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. But wouldn't it be nice if you didn't, if you didn't have to, right. If your children did not have to make that choice. And so I think that's where we're going with this conversation is how do you actually create that type of relationship? And I want to go even one step further. Mm. Yeah. So what? So we want to create that type of relationship that that doesn't require kids to sort of try to pretend to be something that they're not in order to gain approval. Right. Yep. That's that's good. That's important. That's a good starting point. And there's a way in which this. Um, material, this information, this these uh, ideas from Carl Rogers um, also have to do with, well, this I can't get away from this phrase of self-actualization, oh, which yes. may or may not mean anything to people. But the more I have understood what is meant there, the more meaning and depth and, and importance that that phrase has held for me. And sort of there is this process whereby you know of course kids actually become adults like that's not just a matter of getting older there this is why uh as we've talked about before um initiation rights are nearly universal in in indigenous cultures it's because this idea of becoming yourself of your your more mature version of yourself is is not just automatic it's a process and so um a lot of what we're going to be talking about today has to do with what the conditions the psychological conditions that are helpful and supportive of that becoming process i mean and that's literally the name of the book it's called on becoming a person and he's sort of saying that you know he's he's not really looking at it although he references children and parents and and their relationships and teachers with children he's really doing therapy he was doing therapy with adults so he's talking about not becoming an adult because technically these clients already were adults but it's like so what is he what is it what is the process of becoming then and in that case the process of becoming is becoming a, a real person it's almost like we're walking around not even really fully human or really not even fully really ourselves or people and he's like this is about becoming a person it's mm. not an automatic thing mm. so hopefully that will make more sense as we talk about the actual um the questions he asks himself it's 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 interesting how he he very intentionally doesn't tell anyone what to do he 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 just lets us in on his own thinking processes Mm -hmm. the questions he's starting to ask and maybe if i if i could dive in here yeah he does he does do a good job of that though i really like that about him that he's more about inquiring into his own process not so much just saying what you need to do and yet you know you, you take away from it some pretty good insights Totally. <laughs> and just one thing about self-actualization, I think that, um, so I, for me, I really like that word and I think it means a lot to me about the idea of just, I just think of it as 
just becoming more fully human, but really becoming more fully me. And there is something in there about presence. It's like, so I become, so it's not just being more me in the, in the world. Like I'm just being more authentically me in the world. It's just, it's even about just being more connected to myself, more connected to my feeling states and my, my emotions and my body sensations and my thoughts and being able to inquire into my thoughts. So it's not just a, it's not just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to show up and be more authentic and tell you what I think. And I'm just going to be more, you know, it's really something a little deeper than that. Yeah. Well, well, um, he, I'm, I'm looking at a different quote here. He says, um, he's talking about, well, two things I'm going to get, I'm going to read, I'm going to save that quote because it depends on having read the first quote first. Okay. So read the first but, quote. But, but before <laughs> you go there, I want to say, I, I want to add to what you're saying about authenticity here and self-actualization. Um, authenticity being authentic is kind of a popular idea right now. And you and I both agree that it often gets taken in a way that's sort of unhelpful. It gets misunderstood or misinterpreted like that. It, it, it almost gets used as an excuse to just be unbridled, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. say whatever you want, offend whoever you want, hurt other people's feelings. Why? That's just what I really think. That's what I really feel. I'm just unfiltered. I'm just saying whatever the frick comes to mind because I'm authentic. <laughs> and the idea is like, that's not, that's not um, authenticity. That's not what it really means. There's a, there's a, uh, authenticity means setting aside a persona, not just being highly expressive, setting aside your personas so that you are more in, um, congruent with who you are, you, what you say, you really think, you really believe it's your true um, sense of things and you know you feel things more deeply and you um, can speak to those things in a conscious way it doesn't mean just being crazy right right and what you said I, I really like that there's there's a way that it's it's truly being in integrity and it's and I have often visualized it that I have this inner self and this outer self and for a long time, my outer self didn't didn't match up with my inner self. And so the work that I feel like I do is often the integration or the alignment of those two things so that I don't even, sometimes I don't even know what the difference is. And there are times I might still ha- play a role and have to consciously maybe not I, I might not express myself in the same way because I, I know that it's not the right it's not the right environment for something it happens so much more rarely yeah. that I'm even having a hard time bringing mm-hmm. something up right now but it, ha- it does happen to me and it could even just be the type of you know maybe it's at a job interview or something like that where there's a way that you might you know temper yourself but I think over time if you're really really being authentic it's it becomes a place where you are you everywhere yes you're where you are at home <laughs> 
within yourself, no matter where you are. Yeah. And that is, I think, an ultimate goal that I, you know, I'm, I'm actually sitting here realizing that I'm closer to that than I used to be because I used to have more places I could bring up examples of where I played a role still. And I can't really think of many places where I play a role anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it and I think it, it's maybe there's a helpful distinction that's like first of all when we're stuck in a role we don't, we don't have choice over that. We're just we we might even mistake ourselves for that role. Mm-hmm. And so we could get really identified with it and then we're defending it and like whereas um once we see that a role is a role and and we get uh more are uh, centered in our true self, our authentic self, then we can inhabit a role and realize we're inhabiting it and make it a conscious choice. Right. And then there's another distinction, which is that, and I think this is what you're talking about now, and I and I relate to this, that the more comfortable we are within our authentic selves, it doesn't mean that we are always the same exact with everyone in every context. Not at all. Yeah. Different aspects of our authentic self come out in different circumstances and I'm going to share a different side of myself with my daughter and my wife than I am with a stranger or in a professional setting yeah someone who I meet in a professional setting so so we can we can draw upon different parts of ourselves and that's completely that's totally different than being stuck in a role or yeah exactly being, uh, p- putting on a facade and having um but but being authentic in those different contexts, even though it will look different, it will still resonate in an, that 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 authenticness will still resonate. It, it still comes right. through. It's still available or still present. Right. Both for the individual and for the people interacting with that individual. Totally. It's funny that you say this. I, I have to say that. And then we can move on to the quote. Yeah. But what I... I realize is in some ways I am far more of a contradiction the more authentic I become. Hmm. So when I was playing a role, that was really easy. You were consistent. Because I was consistent because I was like, you know, I really was the mom. That was a big role of mine. A role that was sort of an identity, right? Like my personality, my persona. Like there was definitely a way that if someone asked me who I was, I was like, I'm a mother. You know, that was what I am. I'm a mother. And um, and when I was working full time prior to having children, then, you know, I was a director or I was a consultant. You know, mm-hmm. I had these where these words and I really I was able to really play those roles well. And people knew they could expect certain things from me. But the more authentic I am, the more that I realize, like, I'm just I don't even sometimes I don't even know who I'm going to be in that moment. I don't even know what's going to come out of me in that moment. And I don't mean that in like a sort of loose cannon way. How does that feel to you? Well, I've come to trust myself so that it's not now I'm I'm just as equally on an adventure with myself as I am with the other person with me. And it's just a it's actually a really sweet place to be. Yes. But I think there might have been times when I didn't trust myself as much and I was sort of trying, I was learning what it was like. And I think in the beginning, there were times when I showed up more fully and other people were surprised by me. So then I was dancing in the space of like, you know, wait, so me being authentic sometimes might be hard for someone else who was used to me being in that role and maybe 
maybe always saying yes to them for something. And then I started to sometimes have a different opinion or something. Yeah, yeah. But I think mostly those things, you know, they all sorted themselves out. Yeah. But I, I think that it's a very interesting place to be where um, there's a, a just a little bit more, eh, maybe unpredictability, but I think it's more contradiction. It's like, you know, like I can feel one way, one minute. I, I say to my husband often, like, well, just because I wanted that today, doesn't mean that I want that tomorrow or just because this morning we talked about it. I don't know if I'm going to want that tonight. Hmm. I have no idea, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this way that I think it is a little bit more like a flow with life. Yes. And not feeling like just because I said that um, I wanted, I don't know, like that just because I said my favorite ice cream is peanut butter chocolate. Like, I don't know if that's going to be that way forever. It might be or it might not yeah, be. Yeah. But there's another part, though, too. I just want to say that for me, I'm also, I really have a strong value around um, honoring my commitments, too. And so I don't want to give the impression that there's no way you can have any, also any things that are important to you. Like, I, that's a value. Or, or of any mine. sense of reliability. Right. Like, I feel like, you know, but, but I'm also much more cautious about what I'll say yes to. And I will play that out into the future and be much more willing to say like, okay, you know, I, I have said that and I'm going to do that. And there still are times where I might have to, like I might come up against a place where I committed to something that I'm no longer aligned with. And then that just requires some really authentic, genuine and open conversations with another person. So I just think that it's an interest, I think authenticity is something that's very, a very interesting and rich with nuance type yeah. of a conversation yeah i guess i'll just maybe re- before we close this portion of the of the discussion i'll just kind of bring it back to because as 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 we're talking and like because this idea of authenticity is sort of kind of problematic not mm-hmm. the act of being truly genuine and authentic, but the idea of what does it actually mean and how, all the implications of it. And are we, you know, going to, you know, suddenly start acting different with people who then don't know how to enter, you know, there's all these implications. I think this is why I always come back to the idea of self-actualization because there's this image, at least that I have in my mind of self-actualization as being like, you know, the acorn turning into the oak tree Mm. growing and it's like inside the acorn is a in this tiny little acorn is this massive oak tree and there's a process of growth that is required for that inner self to actualize and not every acorn gets to turn into a full oak tree i i I have an oak tree in my yard and I was out there with my daughter and she said, look, an acorn. I looked and there were like 500 little acorns all over this corner of the yard. And I'm not going to get 500 oak trees out of those. You know, I'm not going to get any oak trees because there's already one there. So, um, so self-actualization to me, it's like I, the way more and more I sort of think of, of, individuals especially as of of kids as carrying this potential that's that's mm. unique to them it's a fin- it's as unique as their fingerprints mm. and there is an opportunity in life for them to 
manifest that, to grow into that and to become that, mm. which the, to become that which they are is them and which but which they are carrying within themselves. And this, what we're about to explore is all about how to assist that process. Mm. That's good. And I like the acorn to the to the tree because it's less about it's it's really re- owning that there is something happening that we don't all understand, you know, and to have faith in the in that journey in that, that process, is just that yeah. process that's not really something that we even know. Like I literally can't know who my child is going to grow into. Yeah. With I can't know it. I can I can have a good hunch. I can see his potential. I can see so much more than maybe even my child can see in some ways. But it's a it's a mystery. Yes. Right? Like uh, the the self-actualization and life itself is truly a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. so yeah, so there's a way in which we can't we have to be humble in in the face of that mystery Mm -hmm. right and uh, that we can't have our hearts set on the branches going growing in just this particular direction right it's gonna there's an organic nature to nature (laughs) to 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 human nature and and so allowing for that process to happen is is necessary for that flourishing yeah that's good so should we turn to the source material Let's turn to the yeah. source material. so the, so carl rogers was a psychotherapist he's no longer alive but he was some some of this writing is going back into the 1950s which you would think god that se- it's going to se- seem so antiquated like if we you know take a, a photograph from the 1950s and you see you know like these old cars and these like these um are what we would call classic cars now and you know like these i i just have these very leave it to beaver images of aprons and um you know ovens and you know and typewriters yeah 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 you know and 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 um and um it's like that feels like a very different era and yet this material feels like totally relevant and present moment i mean it's it's kind of crazy it's really crazy it's very fresh feeling yeah in fact didn't i say that to you i mean i had i had read this book as part of a program i was in or read parts of this book but i had forgotten about it but when we when you sent me some of the excerpts i think that's what i said that like this is the stuff that people are teaching right now as if all of us are like just just figuring it out (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it's like ideas take time to propagate in Mm. in our culture right Mm. and so it's like it's sort of like how many people really understand einstein's theory of relativity Mm. i don't know but it's don't think I do, so I I don't know. Yeah, so it's like that's an idea that revolutionized, you know, our world and still is like not even Very misunderstood or 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 not not fully fully understood. understood. So Mm -hmm. this is kind of like that. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in here. So he writes um, Okay, he was he was 
in the context, right, is this 1950s style psychotherapy or psychoanalysis where, you know, doctors are, are, are where therapists are like holding their clipboards and taking notes and analyzing your, you know, what you say and, and you're literally lying on the couch. And the goal was to analyze you and then give you prescriptions of like, okay, you need to do this. You need to do that. Oh, you're thinking this because of what this happened in your childhood. And it wasn't like those insights were necessarily even wrong, but that was just a very specific way of relating uh, of a sort of doctor patient relationship. Yep. And so, um, Carl Rogers really came along and revolutionized that um, by questioning some very basic assumptions. And so he writes, One brief way of describing the change which has taken place in me is to say that in my early professional years, I was asking the question, how can I treat or cure or change this person? Now I would phrase the question in this way, how can I provide a relationship which this person may use for his or her own personal growth. So for me, when I read those words, it was pretty revolutionary because it just acknowledged that entering into that, that there even is the possibility that there are certain types of relationships that other people can use. Like I could form a relationship with a student that they might be able to use for their own personal growth. And I just, Mm -hmm. I was, I I still to this day am, I'm just so intrigued by that idea that that a person can actually utilize a a relationship to make progress that, that because it, 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 it relieves one, not, it releases one of the burden in a sense of having to do anything or to suggest anything or to recommend anything. It's like you relate other than to relate skillfully, you relate skillfully. And that in and of itself is the support for this self-actualization process. Yeah. So, so it just goes right to the heart of, of so much of what we've been trying to talk about here. It does because it's also, yeah, it, we talk about this, this, there, there are a couple things that are on my mind about it. One, is this idea of shifting away from behavioral management Mm -hmm. to relationship so that's one thing because if we're you know if you look at it from the therapeutic you know construct you're it's the idea that like i need to help them to do something i have to fix something i have to i have to know the right thing to say the right question to ask or the right advice to give and it's moving away from that model which equates to a lot of the same things we think as parents. You know, we might need to, we think we need to have that, the, the smart thing to say, the right thing to say, the right thing to do, or that we are actually going to like do everything we can to change their behavior because we know exactly what they need to be doing. Well, yeah, I mean, just in, in taking in a very mundane example, you could be like, wow, the report card came home and it was all C's. And I'm, you know, I hear a lot of parents say, Hey, I I don't expect straight A's, but I mean, come on. Right. And so then I think it's a very natural next step in that thinking to say, well, I got to figure out how to get my kid to get better grades. Mm -hmm. And so there's some, uh, very practical things. I mean, we even talked about this recently uh well i gotta help my kid learn how to study better yeah (laughs) are you calling me out (laughs) Uh, 
Not intentionally. <laughs> it's okay. I can um, handle it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, you know, and it's, it's, so these are not like, these are not crazy things to think. It's just that the, the mind doesn't tend to go to, and this is why I think Rogers is such an important figure. Um, the mind doesn't, for me at least, doesn't automatically go without some training, without some um, reprogramming to, hmm, my kid got all C's. I wonder how I can tweak my relationship with him or her to really help them grow more fully into their uh, academic abilities. Like that's, I don't think that's a common move it's mostly like well okay they got to put more time in i got to limit uh tv uh and maybe some and phone screen time and uh you know i gotta get you know they've been staying out late on the weekends gotta maybe curtail that for a little while until they get their act together it's all about structuring their behavior and their how they spend their time Mm -hmm. right yes one of my questions for you, and I'm, I'm grappling with ask now or ask after, but I want to ask now because it's here, is this type of container, this type of relating, you know, is it a, it, it seems like there are times in parenting where we still do need to where where it makes sense to still be helpful in those ways like there, it's not like there's never a time for guiding our kids because they actually don't know certain things like you know i mean let, let's just say as an example they want to get their driver's license you know that it's like they don't they've never had to figure out how to work with the DMV. So there are definitely places. It's not as if we're trying to say you should never ever help a person (laughs) to learn how to do something or even give them, you know, advice on like, hey, you know, are you the kind of person who wants me to give you a reminder about that? Or do you want to have a to-do list or, you know, I mean, like there are ways that I think parents, I don't want to give the impression that this is like, you're never ever going to ever be able to interfere in your child's life again or something but I'm because I want to know from you like when you imagine this playing out with a person if you think about Carl Rogers he's doing it in a probably one hour session once a week mm-hmm. you know but with our with parenting it's a 24-7 kind of a thing yeah you know and a lot of times you know one but, person's but so so if you think about the example I gave of like a report, a report card, all C's, right? I mean, I think it's fair to say that there are definitely some kids where that's like they're really performing at their best and getting all C's. And and, and so, and I, I have, I don't know if I've seen that exact situation, but I can imagine very easily a, a, a family where the parents get it and they, and, and, and they're like, they're like proud of that child for achieving that level. Okay. But I think most families like that's underperforming, even from the child's perspective. I think there's like, I I don't, I I've, I've met literally one kid 
in 20 years. One, he got all C's. And I just said, kind of expecting I knew what the answer would be, but, um, but still asking, genuinely asking a question. I said, well, so how do you feel about that? He said, I feel great about it. Like, and, and I really believed him. I was like, okay, well then there's no problem to fix here. Like, Mm -hmm. so good. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think, but literally every single other student over the 20 years I've, I've been working as an educator, if they, they've always wanted to get better than all C's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I think where I'm going with it, though, is this. When I think about how I've been a parent, I feel like I am not a master at creating this type of relationship. I didn't know a lot of this, and, and yeah. but I could relate to a lot of it. Sure. And I feel like that's my, my priority. For as many years as I can remember, it's probably since they were born, I always had an intuitive sense that I wanted to cultivate a relationship with my kids and that I wanted them to become their most, I wanted them to become an oak tree. Yeah. You know, and I really did. And I really try to watch for their path and to keep guiding them back to themselves as often as I can. And so I feel like there's a way that I try to do that as an entire, as a, as a way of being. Within that container, I also feel that I have the freedom to sometimes miss the mark of or a course. lot of times miss the mark. And, you know, they of just course. walk in and yeah. sometimes they say something to me and I turn around and give them advice because that's just where I was in that moment. And I'm not that hard on myself about that because I feel like so I just I think where I was going with my question uh, it really uh, was uh. more about like that there's some that this isn't about that you are going to have to act this way 24-7, but it's more about a way, it's really a way of being in relationship with our children. And that the things that we're going to go through here aren't like, okay, well, you need to know those 10 steps and do it this way. Mm -hmm. It's just like, how do you begin to invite more of a relational mindset with our children in all of our interactions because we're still human beings and we're not going to get it perfectly all the time. And that, yeah, so that's... I love that. It, it actually kind of relates to what we were talking about before about authenticity yeah. and that it's not that, that it, it gives you more optionality. Mm-hmm. It expands your optionality of like what to bring out in different contexts. And it's the same thing with this. I think if, if all we know is some behavioral approach to changing to attempting to fix a problem then then that's what we're always going to go to and and so i think because we are so heavily imbalanced in that direction as a culture that the relational move is is like a very helpful tonic that balances out that that imbalance for sure and but overall especially once it becomes more integrated it's just it's an option it's that that you can use and and um you know intelligently apply in different situations and and frankly um having that relational context in my experience leads to more effective behavioral interventions they're not mutually exclusive it's not all one or all the other it's actually when you bring them together in the same moment it's 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 that's when things are going to really land the most. I'm curious if you have a way of either 
if you can think of an example, but if not an example, something that just goes a tiny bit deeper into that, because I really feel that in my, I can feel that like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the part about the behavioral and the relational. Well, I might, I, I, in the past, I might have been like hesitant to be prescriptive with a student because I, you know, they already have homework and they, they're, I know that they're being told what to do by lots of different people and I wouldn't want to pile on to that. So I might be very delicate and say mm-hmm. like, well, you know, like, um, you know, do you want me to talk about something you could do between now and next week? And then they go, uh, okay. Yeah. And then I kind of really kind of I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to exaggerate it a little bit, but so I might be really kind of overly careful about being prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I have a very well established dynamic and relational, relational arrangement with that student, then I might just say, okay, look, here's what I want you to do between now and next week, this, this, and this. And that could sound almost like overly prescriptive, but because of the relational nature of the rest of and the context my sense is that it lands way differently yeah so i guess that's what i'm talking about right so therein lies the alpha yeah right because the alpha it's like the it's like the little ducklings or the polar bear you know with the bears the smaller bears baby bears behind mama because it's like well they're much more willing to be cooperative and follow our lead because there's a relational context yes and so so right so that's where i think i was going in my very convoluted way but there that was where i was that was where i was going which was to say that it's not as if this is a a time where we're saying no there's never you know if you set a relational container and you try to take this approach you're just going to always be doing this relational approach with people or with your children, and it's not really that. It's really more um, that it's it, it's sort of the I don't know. I, I keep on wanting to use the word container because it feels like it is. It's like, and it is the it really is so tightly linked to alpha. Yes, yes, and so so I guess I guess the 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 caveat or the the anticipated concern here is that this could come off as saying, look just relate to your kids don't ever tell them what to do don't ever point them in a direction don't ever help them with a practical matter and that's not what we're saying perfect yeah, yeah. that's exactly okay so just took a little while for yeah, me to get yeah, there yeah, but here yeah. we are <laughs> so um but coming back to rogers yeah, yeah. yep um he says um It is possible to explain a person to himself, to prescribe steps which should lead him or her forward, to train, to train them in knowledge about a more satisfying mode of life. But such methods are, in my experience, futile. The most they can accomplish is some temporary change which soon disappears, leaving the individual more than ever convinced of their inadequacy. So, mm. what are you thinking about that? I'm just thinking that that's so, it's so true. The and most these can accomplish is some temporary change which soon disappears, leaving the individual more than ever convinced 
of his or her inadequacy. Mm. So you go, come on, you got to try harder, you know? Yeah. I know you got, I know you can do better than C's. And they go, okay, I'm going to try harder. And it produces this temporary change and then it slides back and mm. then they go, mm. I'm, I'm a, I, what's wrong with me? Yeah. I, I just, and they just feel even worse. I know. Right. So then it's a big hit at their competence. Yeah. Yeah. It's really. And so this is what we're trying to avoid. And, yeah. This is what oh, we're yeah. trying to avoid. And yeah. he figured this out 65 years ago, maybe mm. longer. Mm-hmm. And it's just taken time for it to kind of be absorbed and brought to light. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he says, the failure of any such approach has forced me to recognize that change appears to come about through experience in a relationship. So I'm going to try to state very briefly and informally some of the essential hypotheses regarding what he calls a helping relationship, which have seemed to gain increasing confirmation both from experience and from research. So he's calling it a helping relationship, as you know, because he wants this not just wants it, he, he truly believes this applies to people outside the realm of therapy. He mm-hmm. talks about parents. Yeah. He talks about teachers. He talks about coaches. He talks about counselors in general. So he's calling it a helping relationship. He says, I can state overall this hypothesis in one sentence as follows. If I can provide a certain type of relationship, the other person will discover within him or herself the capacity to use that relationship for growth and change in personal development will occur. Okay. So this is a restatement of, of what he already, he said he started asking himself, right? But an important restatement. I think so. Yeah. So he goes on he says, um, and he, and he takes the different parts of this hypothesis separately. And he says, um, for example, what is this certain type of relationship that I would like to provide? Okay. Now this <clears throat> sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier. He says, I have found that the more I can be genuine in the relationship, the more helpful it will be. This means that I need to be aware of my own feelings in so far as possible, rather than presenting an outward facade of one attitude while actually holding another one. Um, it, it, he says it is only in this way that the relationship can have reality mm. and reality seems deeply important as a first condition. So you, if you are presenting, if, if one, if we are presenting a facade to someone else, then that person is relating to that facade and there's a, there's a, um, falseness to it. And, and kids of course are super sensitive to that, especially I think when it comes to parents, they're so attuned. So attuned. Yeah. It, it, I've, I remember I almost did a talk one time hmm. and I never did it because, um, I thought it was a little much for people at the time, but I'm just going to use it right now. I said, I think the number one thing that parent, that mothers, but I would say parents, I just happened to have been working with mothers at the time, but, um, that, that people do that is the most important thing to learn not to do is self-abandonment. 
Mm. which is this way that we do that. We put on a facade. We kind of say, well, I'm not going to show up fully. I'm going to sort of like, you know, keep my needs aside. I'm not going to... I'm not going to have preferences. I'm not going to have opinions. I'm not going to bring myself fully to the relationship that I'm in. And uh, and then some people might call that people-pleasing. Could be. Like some people sure, might say yeah. that. And um, and I think with our kids, we sometimes do that. When we think about that we have to put their needs first, we, we actually might do it in a self-abandoning way. And I found that the more that I brought my whole self to the relationship, obviously paying attention to what's age appropriate but that when I brought my whole self like when we were talking about what movie we were going to watch not just let them pick the movie and then I just had to deal with it like I sometimes would say actually give me a couple more let's see if we can find one that we all agree to because I don't really I've already watched that a lot of times with you and I'd love to watch a new one or something whereas maybe before I understood this I would have just let them have their own opinion like this is what we're doing that's what we're doing and I'm just going to go along with it because I'm the mom and so I just do what they want it's sort of like there's the two sides of the extreme where one side would be oh whatever you want and the other side would be like we're doing this I don't care what you want right right and to show up in relationship and be like well what do you want and here's what I want how are we going to negotiate this yeah. as a uh, as people in in relationship right. is um different yeah, it's more of a dance mm-hmm. than it is a prescription. Yeah. And there's really a watching and an attunement because there's really, you know, some days I'm really willing to just give them whatever they want because there's some reason for it. Maybe they're not feeling well or something else. And then there are other times when I might suggest something and, you know, invite people to join me. And if they don't want to, it's still happening. You know, like I might say, I want to really watch this movie. Does anyone want to join me? And maybe nobody wants to, and that's okay too. But it's there's a way that it, it is a dance. Yes. You know. Yes, and I think I think when um, when we're reading this, I mean, we're going to go through a, another section that that reinforces this. Um, in fact, the the part that you found last night sort of speaks to this. I think the one about becoming. Getting behind the mask. Yeah. 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 Could you you want to add to that? Add that to it. I do. Great. <laughs> we'll see if this feels like it. Okay, I'll just say one quick thing. And what I'm thinking, and we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it aligns. But he talks at certain points about um, how some of the. Um, some of the structures in place around professional relationships seem to be about keeping in place a certain distance or a certain impersonalness, um, and that that uh, it, it's sort of a playing it safe kind of way of going through life. And and he's saying like to really be effective, you kind of have to be willing to like take the risk of dropping that those 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 safe distances and being in in there in there as a real person in the mix yeah and um and i think this i i think this quote you're about Mm -hmm. to read this this excerpt kind of speaks to that yeah well and and because 
So when you said before, like a child wants to relate, and if they're relating to, say, a persona or a mask or something, it's almost as if there's no one there to relate to. There's a vacancy. And so that's really what we're really wanting yeah. is all of us are looking for connection to someone to real. someone and doesn't right and and as we become adults it, that changes right you know it might be uh, um, that I want connection like in this moment I'm I we are connecting yeah right and so if I wasn't if there was no one there to connect it if I didn't have your authenticity if I didn't have you to connect to this would become this would be a very different discussion that we'd be yeah, having yeah. so there's a longing that we all have to to be seen to be felt to be understood there's that longing and it doesn't and if it, if it if that is met with some other type of vacancy in some way which we can't always put our fingers on but there's some way that that person's disconnected from themselves yeah it, that that related that relational connection just can't fully happen yeah you can feel it you, you can, can feel, feel it when that you're distance. like, what's yeah. wrong? What's and it's like a lot of people talk about, oh, I want more intimacy, right, in my relationship. Yeah, and this I think relates. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to just I want to say intimacy for most people. I'm I used to think that intimacy was something that we wanted in our relationship, meaning our romantic relationship, but I have come to understand intimacy in a very different way. And I think we all want intimacy in all of our relationships and our child parent relationships and our friendships there's a way we just want and you know someone said intimacy intimacy is like into me i see or you Hmm. see Hmm. and that's like the idea is like i just like i used to say to my husband like i want to feel closer i want to feel closer and he would it would frustrate him to no end because i couldn't articulate what i was looking for so i was grasping like i want to be more i want you to be more romantic Mm. i really want to go on more dates i Mm. wish we would spend more time together and i would have all these things and then over time i realized none of them really satisfied what was going on and i realized what i wanted was to know his inner experience and i wanted him to know my inner experience i wanted to be known i was like craving that so so deeply and if we aren't willing to take the risk to to drop the mask and to show up vulnerably we can't have it yeah which is a great segue into this this. yeah so he has a, a a header called the process of becoming and then the next header is the next headline is getting behind the mask. And he talks about the goals that people are trying to achieve in a therapeutic relationship. He says, when people come to me, so when a person comes to me troubled by his or her unique combination of difficulties, I have found it most worthwhile to try to create a relationship with them in which they feel safe and free. Safe. Just wanted mm-hmm. to call that out. Yeah. Because it's my, this is exactly what it was said. It is my, <laughs> it is my purpose to understand the way they feel in their own inner world and to accept them as they are, to create an atmosphere of freedom in which they can move in their thinking and feeling and being in any direction they desire. How do they use this freedom? It is my experience that they use it to become. Okay, so, yeah. Okay, so so l- let's pause before you read this next section because there's sort of two parts to it, right? Yeah. The first part is creating this atmosphere of safety, 
and freedom. Yep. And and the safety allows the person to not feel like they need to be defended. And the freedom allows them to move unconstrained. And so I think it's an interesting question to say, well, okay, <clears throat> I, I start by not activating their defenses. And then I give them freedom to go in whatever direction they want. Mm-hmm. How do they use that freedom? And this is, I think, it, it goes to, I think, a subconscious fear that a lot of parents might have. is like, if I give my kid freedom, how are they going to use it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know how they're going to use it. They're going to mm-hmm. do the worst. And that's why I need to keep them so constrained. Yeah. And, and, and what while that can sometimes be true in, in certain instances, it's easy to find examples of that. So it to, to confirm that bias. But the, my, my, part of my passion here is to look at human nature as it exists, not one or two examples or not even 10 examples, because there's lots of anecdotal evidence that, that can reinforce this fear. But it's, it's like, what are the best minds, the best psychological minds of our time saying about how people use this psychological freedom well here's what he has to say yes and also if you i notice parents yes they're worried about maybe what their child might do if they were given freedom but they're even worried about what their child will say if they give them freedom and do you see what i'm saying by that like there's a way that like if i let them have freedom to speak they might say things that are against what i believe or mm. they might say things rudely mm-hmm. and my invitation to people is to I, I would actually say yes allow that they will right and to allow that too because it's only in moving through those that we can get to another place we have to have a safe space to be able to be free to say things that are our um our person that we're speaking to can handle that yeah and can hold that with the faith that our our child will move through well the image that comes to mind is that of a uh, a pipe that has been blocked up for a long time and when you open that pipe up some you know some pretty dirty water might flow out of it at first and if you just look at that water and you go oh my god this is polluted and you close it back up you're gonna kind of walk away going, whew, good thing we averted that disaster, right? <laughs> exactly. But, it, but obviously, you know, if like this happened recently, they were doing con- some construction, the water got turned off and when it turned back mm-hmm. on, I, I, I turned it on and this brown, silty water came out. Yep. And so what did we do? We didn't turn it off immediately. We ran we the run. water until yeah. it flushed itself out. And yeah. that's that's uh, uh, what's going to almost certainly happen. <clears throat> and, and there's also just this way when someone is starting with a new thought. So, so like our child comes home and wants to talk about something. It might start off with all kinds of like blaming the teacher and blaming the friend and all kinds of negativity and anger. And then as we allow that safety and that freedom, they then can come to a place of starting to take some responsibility and starting to see things differently. So there's a real importance in that. And I also want to just say something that I really do believe you can't have freedom until you unless you first have safety. So the safety is it sort of comes first for people. The safety comes first I agree. because you wouldn't even feel free to be able to speak if you didn't yeah. feel safe first. Yeah. So um, so how does this person use this freedom? How does this person use this 
freedom. It is my experience that he or she uses it to become more and more themselves. They begin to drop the false fronts or the masks or the roles in which they have faced life. They appear to be trying to discover something more basic, something more truly themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They, That's they, really important. Yeah, they use the freedom to try to discover something more fundamental within themselves, something more authentic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first, the first thing he says is we got to show up as us. Like we have to be genuine if we really, truly us, not hiding behind a facade. Um, he says, um, as a second condition, I find that the more acceptance and liking I feel towards this individual, the more I will be creating a relationship which he or she can use. By acceptance, I mean a warm regard for them as a person of unconditional self-worth, of value no matter what their condition, behavior, or feelings. Mm. Um, It means a respect and liking for this person as a separate person, a willingness for them to possess their own feelings in their own ways. It means an acceptance of and regard for their attitudes of the moment, this is kind of what we're saying, right? It is. <laughs> no wonder we like this guy. <laughs> um, no matter how negative or positive, no matter how much they may contradict other attitudes held in the past, this acceptance of each fluctuating aspect of this other person makes it for them a relationship of warmth and safety and the safety of being liked and prized as a person seems a highly important element in a helping relationship so rogers is sort of known for having coined this phrase unconditional positive regard which is what i believe he's getting at here and it's really a sort of i think a workaround for just saying unconditional love and um, maybe unconditional love is even more relevant in a parent-child relationship but i think it's a more accepted phrase these days so maybe he would just have dropped that work around i don't know but well you know one thing i think that gets murky with unconditional love is that some people think oh that means that you can treat me any way that you want and that i you know have to just tolerate things and i think that um some people like to poke holes in the idea of like is there really such thing as unconditional love because like if you were treating me poorly would i continue to stick around and I, i'm just giving you the sure, sure, like sure. the opposing view whereas unconditional positive regard does have a little sense of i think um it, it can i can i can have unconditional positive regard for someone even if i don't know them i true, don't love true. them i could be at yeah. the grocery store yes. and i can have that's unconditional positive regard for somebody point. that's a great point um, okay, so so that's condition number two. Um, condition number three, he says, is, is basically empathy, a form of empathy. He says, I also find that the relationship is significant to the extent that I feel a continuing desire to understand mm-hmm. a sensitive empathy with each of the client's feelings and communications as they seem to them at the moment. Acceptance, acceptance does not mean much until it involves understanding. You 
can you could kind of say, oh, I accept you fully without actually even understanding what you're saying you accept. It is only as I, and this is italicized, as I understand the feelings and thoughts which seem so horrible to, to you or so weak or so sentimental or so bizarre. This is obviously therapeutic context. It is only as I see them as you see them and accept them accept them and you that you feel really free to explore all the hidden nooks and frightening crannies of your Mm -hmm. inner and offered often buried experience. Mm. So this is, um, I think that's just beautiful. It's like, Hey, we, 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 we sort of avoid these nooks and crannies of our inner experience because we're afraid of them. And it's like, if he, he's coming in and saying, Hey, I'm going to bring this positive warmth and accepting attitude and i'm gonna look at these with you and we're just gonna look at them and it's like i'm gonna understand where they're coming from and and then the person sort of can um build up courage the courage needed to to look at them him or herself yeah and that facilitates growth and change now now this doesn't necessarily it might not map exactly one-to-one but onto children because they're not going to be carrying as much baggage hopefully but still i mean kids feel things all the time that then they don't know what to do with and helping them to like turn towards that and and explore it so that they can release it if that's what's needing to happen is is useful and bringing this very open accepting attitude where we're we're really seeking to understand them is going to be supportive and and yes and one of the pieces that i think is really important is to know that there one of the things that our children deal with is a a deep sense that they're somehow flawed or something's wrong with them if they have like the impulse to lie or they have the impulse to they have an impulse to hurt someone and so the more that we have space where a child can talk about that and then we can also balance that with like, it is actually normal. All human beings have these animalistic instincts and they, they, they under the wrong circumstances or right circumstances, things can come out and to create a safety for them to not only to express this the the in the impulse but then also to create the safe space of like yeah and I've grappled with that too and here are some of the things that I've you know I've experienced or how I've done it so the pers- there's also a, a sense of normalizing being a human being for our children because I think that's one of the reasons why our kids or why people stop talking to people is because those parts, those nooks and crannies, they're the parts we're ashamed of. They're the parts of us that we think that if I admitted that I feel this way or think this way, you would stop loving me. Mm. Right? That's why we don't do it. So if you can go into a therapeutic relationship and then reveal those and then be loved still and loved and accepted, the question is, can we as a humanity begin to love and accept each other we're all walking around with all these things that are probably about the same list of things that we feel ashamed of thinking and and doing or thinking about doing and feeling if we would all just admit it and unearth our shadows yeah we could actually be in a place of deep love and reverence for each other yeah yeah and even at the very very existential no at the very least (laughs) at the very least we can say hey we can we can begin to provide some of this for our own children yes right 
and and it'll be helpful. Right, and it's not saying, let me just be super clear, it's not, I'm not saying, oh, let's just accept that our children feel the impulse to lie and oh yes, like we're telling you <laughs> that it's okay to lie. No, it's there's a really difference between, big difference between feeling the impulse to do something and doing it. Well, and also just again, the behavioral prescription of like, hey, don't lie. They might go, oh, I shouldn't do that. But then if the impulse is not, understood then it will more likely resurface whereas if we go hmm let's explore that and understand it they go oh i was wanting to get something and this is my strategy and and it leads to better outcomes yeah so in in this this quote later on in the same passage he says gradually my experiences forced me to conclude that the individual has within himself or herself the capacity and the tendency latent if not evident to move forward toward maturity it is it says in a suitable psychological climate this tendency is released and becomes actual rather than potential yeah that is a great way to wrap, wrap up this up part this part one because oh, everything turned into oh two my parts God, for doesn't us. this need a second part? Oh, it we, does, because that whole other part. We didn't part, even get to the other part. And it's so good. We didn't get to part two. I know. Okay, everybody, I hope this was enjoyable and enlightening and growth promoting and self-actualizing for <laughs> as much as for you as it was for us. I know, because if, if nothing else, we, we love it. We, we, we are, I feel more actually myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, wishing you all the best. We're um, we're going to be taking we will be taking a break uh, for a few for to end season one and then reconvene for season two. Um, but maybe after part two, I don't know. We'll figure. We'll figure. We're going to leave some mystery in that. There's a little but, mystery. But please like, share, and subscribe. It's really helpful. We really appreciate it. And we will resume the journey soon. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.